0: In a place like California, we've not had very good leadership at the State Department of Education level for a long time. And as a result, the universities in California who educate teachers are not doing a very good job at educating enlightened teachers. And it's very expensive to operate a quality education program in California. For as large a population as we have in California, we have a very small number of -of state-of-the-art schools. We have what a friend of mine once called treatment drift in a place like California. They got to a certain place in the late 80s, early 90s, and they've been drifting along in the 30 years since. While there's been great advancements made and a lot of work done in other places, we've sort of stayed back in the dark ages in some ways in terms of the educational programming that's going on. Hello everyone and welcome.
1: I'm Gilda Evans bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource space for autism and much more. I'm very pleased to have Valerie Vanneman join me as my guest today. Since entering private practice in 1980, Valerie has become an acknowledged leader in providing representation for individuals challenged with disabilities and for their families, securing her clients' educational rights. She served as a teaching fellow at Harvard Law School and is a member of numerous bar associations, including the U.S. Supreme Court, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, and several at the federal district and state court levels. Welcome, Valerie, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me and discuss the work that you do.
0: Thank you so much for inviting me. and It's a pleasure to be
1: here. So, to begin with, the original law that was passed in 1974 to protect children with disabilities was known as 94-142. Now, there was much hope and promise for children that accompanied that passage. Do you feel that hope and promise has become a reality?
0: That's actually a complicated question, and the easy answer is yes and no. Okay. (laughs) It's a much harder question to answer in terms of how realistic was the promise that was contained in it, how hard was it to meet that promise, and what have been the impediments to meeting that promise? because it's not necessarily the case that it is the fault of the law, as much as it is a problem of it was never fully funded, which it had anticipated being fully funded. And secondly, that doing the work of educating what we now call neurodiverse students is incredibly difficult work, requiring a high level of training skill and a research base that just did not meet, didn't live up to the hope of what would have been there.
1: Okay, well then, what do parents need to know about the state of implementation of the law in 2024?
0: It depends a little bit on where you live, actually, and there's a divergence in terms of what you wanna know or what you need to know, depending on where you live. There are some locations in the country that have in fact, by report, developed and have in place state-of-the-art actual programs that make a difference, that provide for a combination of disabled and non-disabled students in an effective manner, and that actually provide an enriched educational opportunity of the type that we all hoped would have been the outcome. Those locations tend not to be in California, so that if you're in California, for example, you have an entirely different experience than you might have in New York or New Jersey, where there has been, by all reports, much more serious attention given to what I call the substance of the programs. In a place like California, we've not had very good leadership at the State Department of Education level for a long time. And as a result, the universities in California who educate teachers are not doing a very good job at educating enlightened teachers. And it's very expensive to operate a quality education program in California. For as large a population as we have in California, we have a very small number of state of the art schools. We have what a friend of mine once called treatment drift in a place like California. They got to a certain place in the late 80s, early 90s, and they've been drifting along in the 30 years since. While there's been great advancements made and a lot of work done in other places we've sort of stayed back in the dark ages in some ways in terms of the educational programming that's going on. So it really depends on where you live as to what you have to pay attention to. In a place like California, you're really in some ways at a very basic level, i.e., is there a program out there that has anything that's going to work for my student? in a place that has a more enriched program, then the emphasis is really going to be on what are the necessities that have to be met? What do I have to do in order to access that program? And those are two very different kinds of looking at what do you need to do and where do you need to go. State like California, because we don't have any substance to look at, It's all now become about the procedure, you know, and everybody's all uptight about did They follow each little piece of this procedure. Well, frankly, in my opinion, I've reached the point where I don't think it matters whether or not they followed all the little pieces of procedure. If there isn't any competent program that you have to have the child attend, if they haven't met the procedural stuff. In other states, looking at the procedural stuff, when you have real alternatives, and real quality programs is much more important. Well,
1: that certainly makes a lot of sense. So I know your law practice is located in California. If people from some of these other states want to talk to you or seek your advice, would they be able to? Or are you strictly limited to people who are located in California at this time?
0: At this point in time, with a couple of exceptions in which A couple of our attorneys have served as co-counsel with local attorneys in other states, but we don't take on cases in other states on our own. Our role is usually as a co-counsel for a local attorney because of some particular aspect of the case. And we do do that kind of work. But we need that because we can't possibly know the intricacies of special education law in all of the states. And so we're happy to co-counsel with attorneys in other states. We're happy to help on questions of institutional types of questions of what is the meaning of, for example, being included with typical peers to the maximum extent possible. And what are the educational implications of that? How does one look at a learning disability in the educational program that's necessary to meet it? Things like that we're happy to always talk about generally, but we cannot give specific advice as to the law of a particular state other than California, unless we're doing it in conjunction with a local attorney from that area.
1: Okay, so building on that a little bit, how would you define the role that advisors to families can effectively play in protecting the rights of students with disabilities?
0: That's actually quite a complicated question, and it's complicated by the way in which it's phrased. You use the phrase advisors to families. Mm -hmm. Okay. What do you mean by that? Are you talking about the speech and language person who has first assessed the child? Are you talking about the occupational therapist who may have run across a child in uh, some playground activity that they ended up being involved in? Are you talking about a psychologist who's actually given or done a diagnosis and developed a full report of the child? Are you talking about one of these folks that's out there calling themselves a special education advocate who is not a graduate of a law school, but who has uh, identified themselves as a special education advocate? Or are you talking about an attorney admitted to practice law in a particular state who has a specialization, each of those people come from a unique perspective. And I found over many, many years of doing that, that each of those folks think they've learned a lot of law, think they know the right thing to advise a family, and think that they've got it sort of totally organized and that they're giving good advice. That's not always the case. One one experience, two experiences, even five experiences, even 10 experiences with a case, with a situation involving a child with a disability may mean only that you've had 10 isolated individual experiences. And if you've not had formal education, some sort of formal, really solid background, I think you should not, unless you are an attorney, and I mean attorney, that is authorized to practice law with a license, be giving legal advice. And that is the problem we have in this field. There is an enormous crossover between what is legal advice and what is non-legal advice. Non-legal advice is the stuff I shouldn't be doing and that I say to parents all the time, I am not a psychologist, I am not a speech therapist, I'm not an OT, I can't tell you the level of treatment your child requires, one of those professionals need to do so, and I would not presume to do so. I'm happy to tell you what other students similarly situated commonly receive, but I can't tell you about your child, nor should I. Similarly, someone who's not trained in the law in my opinion, should not be given parents legal advice, well, you have to give this notice, or you have to do that, or you have to do this. They should not, in my opinion, be giving advice as to the procedural aspects of the law, because it may well be that over time they've heard this or they've heard that, but the law does, in fact, 50 years on, as we've recently experienced in California, this law can take a drastic change on the basis of a single decision from a court of appeal issued on a single day. And so I think when you ask the question, what kind of advice should advisors give, it depends on who the advisor is. Professionals who are treating a student, who are working with a student, absolutely should be giving advice about what are the treatment options for a child, what are the kinds of programs that the child might benefit from, what are the things that we should be looked at. But in my opinion, they should not then exceed that boundary and begin to give legal advice. As you know, in order to do this, you need to get this or you need to give that notice or whatever. I cannot tell you the number of times I've seen families who somewhere along the line, they heard a a non-lawyer professional say to them, Well, you have to ask for this in this period of time. And of course, it was totally wrong. I mean, that was not the legal advice that should have been given. Just like I shouldn't be telling people, go get two hours a week of OT, they should not be telling people do this as a legal thing.
1: Okay, now there's a lot of information out there on the internet, right? (laughs) We all know that. On social media, so on, all about educational rights. How do you feel about the reliability of this information and how does one determine the reliable stuff from the anecdotal or not so reliable?
0: You know, I can't bring myself to look at most of those sites because (laughs) I try and remain calm. I think at initial level, you need to look at the source material. Is this a parent who is describing his or her own experience in a particular situation with regard to a particular child? And while that can be helpful for another parent to understand the struggle that all parents go through, it should not be assumed to apply to your particular situation. There are sites, for example, Disability Rights California, has put together and has on its website a very carefully researched set of handbooks that one can read. Those contain up-to-date accurate legal information. They are a government-funded legal services program obligated to provide accurate and precise data. And I think one can depend upon that being accurate and precise data. There's a lot of people who do posts and who are not lawyers that do it for parent education, and I understand that purpose. But I think that if it is not a reliable legal services source, you're going to want to check that information to determine whether in your particular situation, it's accurate information that you should be operating on.
1: Okay, well, that certainly sounds like good advice. So what haven't we touched on in our conversation thus far? And what do you think is the most important takeaway from our conversation for the parent of a neurodivergent or disabled child?
0: I think it's very important, very important that as a whole, as a community, we really begin to push the educational establishment to talk about a real analysis of what is state-of-the-art education in 2024. There are a number of organizations out there, professional educators, Education Law Weekly. I mean, there's, there's just a number of organizations out there that put out articles all the time about, for example, teaching reading to someone who has a processing deficit. And that stuff is all over the place. And I think what we really need as a community to do is to say, we need the educational establishment, both at the university and college level, that is the people who are developing this material and are teaching teachers to teach, and at State Department levels, to take a long, hard look at what are the necessary elements for effective educational programs in 2024, and what do those really cost? Good education for our population is expensive. And the notion that somehow we can do it as cheap has resulted in less than all we could have provided and resulted in students being less than all they could have been. And I think it's time that we sort of fess up that this is expensive education. It does require intensity of both time and talent from those who are providing it. And more than talking about what are my due process rights, we need to be talking substantively about what can this child expect to be able to accomplish in an effective educational program. We need to return to talking about outcomes. In 1974 with 94-142, the outcome was to get kids out of closets. We knew there were thousands of children in America not getting an education. Children out of school in America, if you can find a copy of it, is the seminal publication from the Children's Defense Fund that was the impetus in many, many ways for why this all happened. And that was the outcome. Let's get them out of those closets and into a place where they can get some education. Now the outcome has to be looked at in terms of what is it we want to accomplish. We have to go back to believing in special education. There's a whole lot of people out there who think, you know, it doesn't matter what we do, at the age of 18 they're going to look the same as they would have regardless of the interventions we provide those of you who are out there know that's not true but we need to go back to saying that's not true and to giving an emphasis to the substantive outcomes not the procedural outcomes
1: i could not agree with you more and thank you for for saying that very very well spoken valerie so how can our listeners reach out to you with questions or concerns?
0: We have a website. The law firm is Vanneman German, LLP. Uh, it has its own website. And so it's Vanneman, V-A-N-A-M-A-N, German, germa com. And you can go take a look at our website. If you have specific questions that you want to direct to us, The website allows you to send in general questions to our office, and we make every effort to answer those as quickly as it's possible.
1: Well, thank you so much, Valerie, for your time and for sharing your wisdom with us today.
0: And good luck to you. Thank you for doing this. I wish you much luck in getting the message out there. If you like what you hear, please
1: subscribe to the podcast You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and you can always access us and other great resources on our website, autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.